maybe you can tell me why sometimes you go on Zoom and you have to press the audio on and the video on button and other times you're automatically in there. Is it is it your settings when you set it up or is it is it just the the Zoom gods? I the Zoom gods is the answer. Um, but come on, you're asking the wrong crew. Like we got to be in our twenties to really answer that question. <laughs> are you saying I'm not in the twenties? I don't know. I, maybe maybe you are. I got carded. I got carded on Saturday. Today we're talking with Norman Radow, founder and CEO of the Radco Companies. Norman spent the last decade amassing an impressive multifamily portfolio. We're going to find out why his next big bet is in hospitality and why he thinks hotels are going to be hot for the foreseeable future. Thanks for joining. Congratulations. We just part of maybe why you're here, but we just closed on the, the three pack down in Florida from Blackstone that you guys bought from Blackstone. Yes. Right. I'm sure yeah. it's a joy to deal with. We get that a lot. Well, you know, uh, I know, you know, um, yes, okay, it's more on the legal side. I, I had this, I bought from Blackstone on the multifamily side. And, um, uh, and um, the, um, and I had the same experience. The business guys, the deal guys are fairly reasonable, but their lawyers like think that they're, you know, I don't, I don't know what they think. They're just, they just, they're on a different planet. And so they, 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 they take these positions that are so stern and so off market, just like the lawyers did here at Tampa and St. Pete, that they said, no, you're closing. It's a, it's a Cat 5 hurricane happening out there. Are you kidding? They go, nope, we expect you to close. Well, that wasn't Blackstone's position. It was Rosh Hashanah and everyone who makes the decision was in synagogue. But as soon as they got out of synagogue on Tuesday afternoon, they said, what the f***? Of course we're going to help you. Excuse my language. You know, and so it was the lawyers take these positions. And I remember um, uh, I haven't I maybe you can tell me I haven't looked at the closing statement, what their legal bill was, but I bet it was 10 times ours. Oh, easy, every time. Easily. All right. I'm going to write you down. You're not a big fan of lawyers, but remind me what was your I'm a lawyer. No, no, it's not that. I'm, I'm talking about Blackstone lawyers. Blackstone's lawyers. <laughs> but then deal guys. Don't want to overrule their lawyers, but then everyone runs to the file later and say, "Oh, you overruled the lawyers," you know. So, it's it's it, there are some issues. But Brian Kaufman, who runs that shop, is a wonderful guy. I called him right after we closed St. Pete. We spoke for over an hour, and they were very impressed, uh, even with the warts and everything with the hurricane and the insurance issues. Very impressed that we got it done. So. They're anxious to do more business with us, he said. Yeah, I'll, I'll add the kudos in there. And again, I think maybe here's your introduction to the hotel world. I mean, because after we close this, this three-pack, I mean, my phone starts ringing off the hook. Like, hey, who's this Radco company? Well, who's this Norman Radow? You guys ever heard of him? What? I don't understand. They're new to the industry. What are they doing? Well, oh, wait, yeah. I just Google me. I'm not a, uh, everyone knows me in the real estate business. I, it's a, it's amazing that they don't. We're closing on a 10th deal today, a 10th hotel today in Atlanta. So with all due respect and sort of for everybody, but you're huge in the multifamily world. Everybody knows you there. So you're one of the big players there. You made the pivot to hotels, which probably is my number one question. Why the pivot to hotels during COVID? Uh, why did we make the switch? Apartments too expensive? Do you think there'd be distress in hotels? Uh, and how do you like this space? So... Um, 
if you go back and look at my history, can I give a long answer to this? Because yeah, let's take it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I I started in business in 1994 when I bought the Four Seasons Hotel in Atlanta, and I bought it out of bankruptcy in Sweden. And um, and my second deal was a a Hawthorne. I was the first franchisee of Mike Levin uh, when he bought Hawthorne Suites. So that was my second deal. And uh, and so. and I developed a lifelong, you know, relationship with the Levins ever since, and that's why Rob is managing uh, the St. Pete oh, yeah. deal for us. So, um, so anyway, I bought a hotel. It had a condo component as well, and um, and so uh, I did, um, you know, a couple of hotels. Realized really quick, buying low, selling high was, uh, especially in the uh, something like the Four Seasons. I said, I'm a, a young guy. I was in my 30s. I didn't have a lot of money. I put that deal together um, with, um, you know, with, with bubble gum and, and paper clips. And I said, you know, something happens here. It's a 53 stories of the roof happens. The, the big palladium window that's three stories tall and top broke. If I, I don't have the money to fix it. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do this. So let me get this in as good a shape as I can, stabilize this asset and sell it to the right party. And I actually sold it to Blackstone and it was Jonathan Gray's first deal. So, um, so I, I just want to give context to my relationship with Blackstone because back to 1996 when we made that contract and closed in 97. And, the, um, and so I went into the for sale condo business because I really did that well. And I saw the future uh, that condos, especially in, the, in, uh, in um, um, secondary cities were becoming a, a thing. So we uh, did really well in that. Um, uh, 2000 and you know in the early 2000s uh, to about 2006, and in 2006, so that was my business. I didn't have multi. I had done hotels and I did condos, some retail as part of condos, but you know mostly condos. And uh, in 2006, I was buying a deal, um, and uh, that was a that was a condo in distress, and um, I modeled it. I was very aggressive. It was in Chicago. I knew the deal really well. And I lost by like, and this is 2006, $45 million. It was an ungodly Not amount of money. So I said, what the hell did I miss? I thought it was mine. So I went to the modeling room and I said, let's, and I had two other deals I was finishing in Chicago. So I knew that sales were slowing. I knew the prices were under pressure. I knew, you know, that the housing bust was about to happen, but no one knew how big it was going to be then. And, and so I looked and said, okay, let's double the velocity of sales. Let's triple the velocity of sales. Let's um, increase the prices 10%. Let's increase the prices 20%. Let's, you know, cut the cost of operation. Let's cut marketing. Did all that. Press the button. Negative IRR. So I said, the world is crazy. The world is absolutely insane. And so I exited the business. This is 06. It was 06. And I put out a shingle in November of 06. Um, and um, and I put out a shingle as a workout company. Sent out a press release. You know, did a, we're gonna, we're set up for workouts. And like the Maytag repairman, which you you would know what that is. I have to explain it to all my analysts. But oh, like yeah. the Maytag repairman, I was very lonely for nine months. Nobody called me. And then uh, in June of 07, when Bass Stearns had the hiccup in the mortgage REITs, I started getting the calls. And before you know, know it, I was taking over uh, 
1200 unit condo project in, in LA and I was getting a project in Chicago and I had a project in Boston uh, that were coming to my, my way. And then when Lehman went bankrupt um, and I became the chief restructuring officer of uh, SunCal, uh, which is the biggest home developer out in California uh, in, in the summer of 08. And then when Lehman failed, um, three days later, I got the call and was asked to come up and I, these um, analysts came in the room um, with uh, carts full of files falling off. And I said, what's that? And they said, oh, we don't know, but everyone who does know is fired. You're now in charge. And so I became the, the chief workout um, uh, service provider for Lehman and bankruptcy. And so that's a totally different business, right? And I did that really well. Um, and in 2010, and it was a New York Times article on us, a 3,000 word article saying we're the leaders in this space and how we were handling issues of first impression. And then in uh, 2010, I knew that business was going to end and I identified multifamily as the next thing I would go into. Again, hotels, condominiums, workouts, multifamily. And the reason was there was still liquidity in multifamily because you had Freddie and Fannie. And so um, I, that's why I went into that space. Um, and I had a clean balance sheet, which very few people did. And so I started buying multi. I found I was still pushed out by um, the, the Blackstones of the world, the Behringer Harbors, the REITs, they had cash. They can close in 30 days. I couldn't. So, um, um, you know, I, I gravitated to the Bs and Cs. And what I found after about a year is I found that the rents were moving faster. I, I had a mark-to-market -market strategy, but the rents were moving faster than the market. And I, I, I realized that this was the renting nation phenomena. I called it that in 2011. And I said, I'm doubling down. This is a decade-long phenomena. And so we started buying multi. Um, and I bought about one and a half deals a month for like eight straight years. So I built up a, a portfolio of about 26,000 units. Yeah, uh, and um, then I noticed in 19, things were way too expensive. Uh, and I started selling slowly, but then I also moved into um, financing really good developers in, uh, in new builds because it was cheaper to build than it was to, to buy. So I shifted to that, um, always staying ahead of the market. We did extremely well. We did about 10 of those. And um, um, and at the same time, uh, when, when the COVID hit, um, by the middle of uh, 2020, I said, hotels is going to have the one of the biggest impacts from COVID. And we should really look about going back into that business. And so I went out looking for a hotel acquisition head. Um, and um, and that's how we started to get into the hotel business. Um, it's just the, the sellers were not there yet because they had all these other protections from PPP and forbearance and um, you know, brand um, uh, extensions on their pips. Uh, so um, it was slower than I expected. I thought we'd be doing what we're doing now a year ago, yeah. um, but I've just recognized that this was an opportunity to come in with our capital. I'm not scared of hotels since I was in it before. And, you know, I talked to some of my uh, friendly competitors and, and they, they say to me, why are you doing this? And I, and I tell them um, and they say, it's just too hard for me. I, I just do apartments. And so that that's not us. We're, 
We're willing to go everywhere where we see opportunity and then be really good at it. So that's what we try to do. So that's why we went into hotels because we just think it's a, it's the right time to come in, rescue a lot of these really great properties that are in excellent locations, um, and then um, uh, add the capital that they need to modernize them and bring them up to current standards uh, and bring in the best managers and uh, ride uh, the economic boom that's about to happen and the resurgence in, in hotels. So that's that's how we're playing. In fact, we modeled, you know, and we did the same in the three deals you just uh, sold for us, uh, uh, brought to us. We modeled not getting back to 2018 till 2024. And it's in our first two weeks, we've already exceeded 2018. Yeah. So we never even modeled that. So it's, um, so I, you, I think you're welcome. Hotels are coming back fast. Yeah, you're welcome. So, so give me your capital stack then. Tell me, and what gives you the staying power? What made your balance sheet better than everybody else? Where are you raising your capital? So we raise our, so, you know, interestingly, uh, I always used um, um, Wall Street Capital. Lehman Brothers is actually my biggest capital provider. Uh, I actually had Lehman Brothers holding Inc. loan number 0001 in 1994 when I bought the, the Four Seasons. They were my capital stat, part of my capital stat. Were you and, dealing with Gay uh, Flannery and those guys at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah but I dealt with uh, Jan Show okay. um, and Mark Walsh directly. Okay. Uh, because that that group was just forming, right? And um, so it was the wild west in those days. I, I remember that deal because yeah. you, you'll never forget it. Nine points, twenty percent uh, interest rate, and twenty percent of the deal. Do that again. Nine points, twenty percent <laughs> interest rate, twenty percent of the deal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So. I, I actually, by the way, did you that, make uh, any money doing that? I made a four. No, we did really well. Yeah, we bought low. We yeah, bought, of course. Yeah, we bought the four seasons for you know fifty-three story building for forty-eight million dollars. You know, we sold it for about one hundred and five. Yeah, and so you know we did we did great. So um, and um, and Lehman only had the position on the condo part, not the hotel part. So so um, it twenty um, percent of the condo is not of the uh, of the hotel as well, but uh, they did really well. And uh, uh, but anyway, the uh, I just thought as a little anecdote for your audience, uh, but what capital stacks looked like in 1994. But today, back there. Um, so when I went into the multi business in 2010, 11, I went to Wall Street. I went to all my old friends. I was very well known. I could still today. I can walk in anyone on Wall Street, and I went to everyone. And and um, they some of them would come down. And they would, I'd pick them up at the airport, drive them to the property, drive the comps, you know, have a fancy dinner. They'd go back a week later, their analysts would send 130 questions, then another 40, then another. And then two weeks after that, I get an email um, uh, uh, with declining to become involved. Uh, and you can pick which one. Um, it's too old, it's too new, um, it's uh, too tertiary, it's too this, right? It's in Atlanta. You know, I got I even got that. It's in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to tell the mayor to get the sign bigger at the airport. You must not have known where you flew into. I'm saying like everything that they'd say no to was on the cover of my investment memo. Like, you know, 430 unit class B minus property in Marietta, Georgia, right? Something like that. And, and then it took them three weeks of all this work 
to then tell me, well, it's in Marietta. I go, really? News at 11? You know, so it was like, uh, I, I, you know, I realized that um, that they were just wanting to know what the market was without, they didn't have funds, they were just staying in the game. And a really great story, really great story. And I, I will, that's been long enough. I, and he's retired, so I'll tell this story. So I went up in my first three deals, I went to Wall Street and did this constantly. So I went up to Wall Street and I went in to see Ron Kravitz at Cerberus. And he always threatened to do business with me. So I go in and I changed my tact. I said, Ron, tell me, what's your box? What's your box today? So he puts his elbows on the conference table. It's one of these huge, you know, Cerberus. I mean, this conference room was like, you know, 40 feet long table and we're sitting across from each other, like yeah. 10 feet apart. I think I was and he puts his elbows on the table and puts his uh, four fingers, his two thumbs and index fingers together. And he says, this is my box. And then he describes, you know, the size of the deal, the age of the deal, you know, the returns he's looking for, et cetera. And I go, Ron, hold it right there. And I reached down to my briefcase and I said, I've got a deal squarely in the center of your box. And I have it right there. And I go to pass it to him. And he goes like this. I said, Ron, what just happened? He said, my box moved. I said, your box moved? I said, you're really not in the business, are you? He said, no, we don't have the capital. We're just trying to learn from you what's going on. I go, oh, my God. So there was my aha moment. And um, on the first two deals, when I couldn't get Wall Street money, I just went to friends and family. Yeah. And yeah, I raised two million on the first deal, three million on the second deal. I didn't like doing it. It was not pretty. I was kind of nervous about it. Um, uh, and then, but I said when I left Ron's office, that's it. I'm done with Wall Street. I if I'm gonna succeed, I've got to create my own network and raise private capital. And that's what I did. And uh, we have a thousand investors now. This is not crowdfunding, this I don't use fancy technologies, it's one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, uh, developing relationships over a lifetime. And uh, we raised this year about $220 million in private capital. Um, and so far, we got about $30 million more to raise. Um, do I got that right? Something about 20, so, yeah, about maybe 30, 25 million or so. Is it a fund? Is it discretionary or you deal by deal? No, deal, we do deal by deal. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, sometimes we make a mistake. For example, um, um, no, in sorry. the hotels we just sold, we just bought, I'm sorry, that you sold us, um, even though there were two separate transactions, right? And we bought, we went to contract different times. We also had four other limited service hotels that we went to contract with in March and April. We either had a CO requirement or a PIP uh, requirement. Or and it just ended up that they all were closing around the same time at the end of September. And so we said, well, let's put it in one offering, yeah. $70 million. And I said, people will love it because, uh, um, you know, and we got great debt because we we're able to put it all together. So we got great debt, you know, our debt's like 6%. So we got it at a nine cap, we borrowed at six. Where are you getting that? We got that at uh, Wells Fargo Franchise Group. Yeah, love it. And uh, so uh, that's wow. way below market, you know, uh, better than market debt uh, for hotels. And so um, we were able to get that. Um, and then um, uh, we said, look, you got diversification. You've got um, 
uh, one K1, one report, one distribution, you know, all these, you know, uh, you know, benefits. And then what we found out is people gave the same amount of money if I sold them, just brought them one deal. So um, if someone was a $200,000 investor per deal, they gave me 200,000 instead of a million four. And uh, so that kind of strained us a little more than we expected, but we raised all 70 million and uh, we're closing on the seventh and last deal of that group um, today. Uh, it's the Aloft at Sugarloaf in Gwinnett County here in Atlanta. Yep. And and the brand new paint 171 a door uh, for the new prototype mid-rise. You, you know, it's like 80, 90,000 unit below replacement cost. So uh, uh, just a great location that's getting only better. So we love that. But we've been raising the money from people. And if, if probably if I had divided that in half and did a three and a four uh, pack, I would have raised the money a lot faster. Um, but uh, um, it, I worked a little harder this summer than I expected. But that's how we raise capital. So our cap stack's very simple. Um, first mortgage, uh, LP equity, GP equity. That's it. All right, so give me your ball going forward. And I'm talking both from deals that you see might be coming your way and the attitude of your equity. I mean, are their pockets, are they seeing recession? Are their pockets going to get, uh, arms get short? Are, there, are they going to be less willing to hand over money? Are they going to have other draws? Do you have any concerns? Or are you very bullish on the opportunities coming your way? So in terms of real estate, I think that next year or two, maybe the greatest buying opportunity um, since uh, 11 years ago. And, uh, and I see it in multiple fronts. The hotels, and again, I'm focusing on mid-market, and I'll tell you why mid-market, not uh, you know the, the sexy, fancy hotels um, and uh, in a minute. But I think mid-market hotels still have a lot of play. Um, I think that's, um, you're going to, uh, I think even in a recession, people are going to come down, uh, you know, from a four-star to a three-star, um, um, you know, for value. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the mid-market is going to be the winner. Mm -hmm. But I also like it because the Blackstones of the world who just bought from don't buy one mid-market hotel. They they can't. It would, it would kill them to stroke 10, 15 million dollar equity checks. They got to put out 500 million at a time. So these hotels that we acquired from them, they bought in a huge portfolio. And then they said, we don't want the small mid-market hotels. We want these hotels and this hotel. So they, you know, they they went and sold off individual assets. Um, and so when you look at who's in the mid-market space, buying one and two, uh, you know, hotels for $10 million equity check or $15 million, they're families, right? And they're small shops in general. Um, and they're, um, and they generally, that's their business, that they're in that space. Well, if you had 10 hotels in 2020 um, and all your, um, all your wealth was in those hotels, well, you got crushed. So... The, the natural buyer for these hotels right now is scrambling just to protect what they still have. Yeah. And so by coming in the mid-market space, uh, just like we did with the class B multifamily space uh, 11 years ago, uh, we, you know, we we're, we're seeing we're only one of like five bidders. I, I don't know what you see. How many, how many real bidders were there for any individual mid-market hotel that you did? And, you know, where we're, what we're seeing, sometimes we get brokers speak on how many are really involved, but what we're finding is that it's really just a, a few groups. And then of those groups, 
only two or three are recognizable and have um, a reputation that you could rely on. So, some go to the high flyer that's not going to close and we get a call a month later. But um, in general, we're you know, one of two or three or four groups with a reputation, a balance sheet, and a, 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 a transaction track record that are bidding on these hotels today. So um, uh, I don't know if you're seeing that differently. But when you have four or five versus 30, um, you know, you tend to get better pricing. And then yep. you're, buying, you're, you're pricing it based on trailing numbers, which include Omicron and Delta, you know. So, you, you know, your, your cap rates, you know, may be on, on um, lower revenue than historic norms. So I think that the two together, you know, give you that opportunity um, with the uh, mid-market space. And uh, this will be our 10th hotel. All of them are doing uh, really well. Uh, I'd say we have nine now, uh, eight of the nine are doing far better than we expected, and, and one is doing fine, you know. But um, uh, eight, eight of the nine are doing really well, so uh, we're very, very uh, pleased with that. Also, I think in multifamily, we pivoted again. Um, cap rates in multifamily merged yeah. last year, the last two years. So you buy a C, a 1970C deal that's obsolete for four, you know for a three cap, and then there'll be a brand new mid rise you know, uh, next door for a three cap. So if I'm going to buy to the same cap rate, why do I want to take on the risk of obsolescence and uh, the, the the physical needs of, of a 1970s property? Uh, you know, people of less uh, tenants who are struggling to pay the rent versus higher earners, you know, renting brand new space. So um, we started looking at class A. Um, we bought two, we have a third one now. We're paying about a 20% discount to January 1 values. Um, and um, and they're not a lot on the market, but these are core, core assets in incredible locations. Um, so we're getting onesies and twosies of those. Uh, I don't think there'll be a lot of that next year because um, unless you're a merchant builder stuck with a construction loan, you know the groups that own these assets have a lot of capital and have a long-term view. So I think we'll see onesies and twosies there, um, but it's the class Bs where I think we're going to see a huge opportunity. Why? The run-up in class Bs in the last two years has been because of the explosion in bridge debt and uh, at really cheap rates. So if you just look at this time last year, these deals are transacting at sub three caps because yeah. you're borrowing at two and a half. So, you know, oh, I'll pay, you know, 2.8 and say, well, like at least trade outs are really great. We'll have 20% rent growth for the, you know, foreseeable future. You know, world's great. And but those that bridge, and then we'll refinance into permanent debt within two years and uh, lock in a cheap interest rate once I stabilize the asset at a higher rent. Well, that sounds great on paper. Um, and uh um and they did it with two-year bridge debt because they thought the paper, you know, meant something. But come March, um, the market fill out. All those bridge lenders have moved to the sidelines. Prices have come down about 20%. So if you bought a property for $50 million, like the average cost of a B deal last year, and you got 80% bridge debt, that's a $40 million loan. Well, if it's come down in price 20%, it's now worth $40 million. So, um, and debt today, you only can get about 60%. So that means you only can refinance at $24 million. You have a $16 million delta. And that's 
um, uh, you know, and that's going to be insurmountable for them. And that, and those two-year bridge loans are coming due next year. So I think there's going to be, you know, um, a program. I think it's just going to get priced um, uh, um, that it's consistent with the risk involved in Class B assets. I mean, it's like risk meant nothing to people the last two to three years. I, I just couldn't believe it. And there is risk in Class B, and you're going to start seeing it, uh, and very soon, I think. Do you, are you are you going to see that in the hotel space? Well, we are seeing it in the hotel space. I mean, we're you know we're seeing it. It's just that it's been masked by, um, you know, forbearance uh, and uh, um, you know, and the brands. The brands have uh, you know you have to pay back your forbearance now. You have no more PPP money. Um, you do have cash flow. Your cash is getting better, but it's not enough to refinance that debt. You know, I, I just had a very prominent lender in my office yesterday at this table behind me. Uh, and um, and and they they said, we really want to do deals with you. I said, great, well, tell me what like the cost of funds are. And he said, well, we can, you know, we can um, give you a hotel loan. It's 700 over. 700 over. Well, that's 10%. So that's no deal the market... Here. If that's the debt you can get, one, your leverage goes way down too. We just bought these deals uh, from you at nine caps. Right. Well, nine caps don't work if your debt's 10 and a half, going to 11 in November, right? When the feds raise the rates again. So, um, how does the whole, you know, how does the mid market hotel industry um, not get affected by that? Right. How do any deals get done? What do yeah. you see? What's your crystal ball say? I think prices have to adjust. I think those that can hold on are not going to sell, um, but too many are going to have to sell. Now, some I, I described, you know, a group of people that uh, that own 10 hotels or 20 hotels and all the wealth is in it. And they've got to say, these are the five I want to save, but I got to sell the rest because my loans are coming due and I can't refinance and I'm out of covenants and I can't, you know, I can't extend the loans. And um, and she got that. Group. And then you have the the REITs and the funds of that have oh, me, not the reach the funds that have a duration, let's say a seven year or ten year duration. Well, the last two and a half years have gone by. Now you've got all these deals that the ten years, you know, seven or ten year cycle is ending, and they got to sell it. They they don't have the luxury, even if they had the capital, they don't have the luxury uh, of not selling. So you're going to sell into this market of ten, you know, ten percent interest rates. Um, you know, you're going to have to take uh, your lumps on the value. What, how long do you think the interest rates stay at 10%? So I think there are two. Um, um, the short answer is I don't know. And anyone who says they know uh, may be right by accident, but not because they really know. But based on history, um, you know, based on what I've seen and based on being in the workout business for a long, long time, uh, what happens is if you look, treasuries were 270 at the end of July. At, and the 4% today. So there are about 130 bips in two months. 130 bips in two months. That's huge, right? And um, and then and you know, there's a lot of pressure for some people saying we'll go to five, you know, and and but treasuries, the reason they were at 270 in July and not at four or five then, because what's different? We yeah, had the inflation was the same then as it is today. It's eight percent in July, it's eight percent today. Why, why, why would treasury at 270? Because there was an inkling in July that the Fed's 
the Fed's act, monetary policies were going to affect inflation faster. And even though it hadn't shown up in the numbers, everyone assumed that it was going to work. So treasuries were were valued based on future, you know, it's a 10-year uh, note. So you don't worry about this year's inflation, what's going to happen next year. So I think that's what the bond market was thinking. And then the Fed came out and said, no, 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 no. We're, you know, we think inflation is here and we're going to have to go up, 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 up more. And so treasuries responded. The Fed's going to be much slower to lower rates on the Fed funds rates. Um, they're not going to just raise the next two times and say, not only stop, but reverse. So it'll be a much slower coming down with them. Um, but the minute, in my view, the minute, in my view, that the that there are some statistics out there, some verbiage from the Fed, that inflation is starting to get under control. If, if CPI was 7.8 next month instead of 8.2, even though that's not 2%, even though 7.8 is really high, if that trend is there, the inflation is, under, is get, coming under control, I think treasuries um, rally. And so when you look at fixed debt, like we just did with Wells Fargo, I think you'll start seeing um, um, you know, more loans being made at lower interest rates and lower spreads. Um, I think the Fed, the floating loans are going to be much um, uh, longer to come down. So um, it's, it'll be a bifurcated market. Uh, when? I, I, I think sometime in 2023, you're going to see treasuries um, rally. March uh, or September? Ah, I don't know. Okay. Ask uh, Jerome Powell. <laughs> he didn't know either. But I'll tell you, the, the problem with the Fed is um, is that they're always wrong, right? So they're always wrong. Uh, if you remember 2018, they said they were going to raise rates five times in 2019. Everyone listened to the Fed, including me. And then the Fed started cutting in 2019. And so uh, they, 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 in two, either they lied or in 2018, they got it all wrong, right? And then um, um, last year, uh, from April of 2021, when inflation started to be public, and they should be seeing these numbers two months before we do, right? Because it's raw data. They see the raw data as it comes in. It then gets compiled and, and released two or three months after the fact. So they must have known January or February of 21 that inflation was coming. And yet they kept saying it was transitory for eight straight months. It was going up every single month, eight straight months. They kept they kept buying bonds and mortgages. Um, uh, they kept the rates low at zero, um, and um, and they were wrong month after month after month. So why are they right today? All right. So what's the strategy then going forward? You guys buying? You think it's going to be distressed, you, or are you positive for uh, the performance outlook for so so both? So I think this is why it's so unique. I'm positive. Yeah. You know, um, if you look at the, on the multifamily side, um, I just read today, just this morning, uh, we're in a housing recession, which means your know, house buying is in a recession. Uh, sales are down 27%. And those are sales in September. Those are sales that were consummated in July, right? Right. So I, I, I think when the numbers come out in November and December, um, you know, mortgage rates are over 7% today. I think it's going to just come right straight down. And I don't mean that the prices are necessarily coming down. I mean, sales are going to stop. Yes. And there may be a, 
a purgatory where buyers and sellers look at each other and stare at each other and who's going to blink first. Or it could be that people who own homes just won't sell, you know, and say, hey, I, I can hold on. I don't have to move. I'll wait till next year or whatever. Um, and so if you don't have the ability to buy a house because they're not available, you got to rent. And so I think you're going to see, um, you know, um, uh, not rent growth of 20 percent. Yeah, that's pie in the sky. That was COVID induced. Uh, but you're going to see, you know, a strong rental market. So I think I'm not worried about the rental market in the medium term at all. You may see in some micro markets, there's been a little overbuilding and there'll be some absorption hiccups. But again, that would be only short term until um, that supply is absorbed. So I like multifamily a lot operationally. Um, and I love hotels, because, especially mid-market, because um, uh, you know people haven't gone on vacation or done business for two and a half years itching to get out and even with a recession um i think you're going to go to the limited service hotel or the three-star um service hotel um you know for value um uh, as opposed to maybe the you know the four star or the or the, or the five star so i think you'll see you know um that the mid-market hotels are going to perform really really well so that's operational but at the same time we talked about the capital constraints and in, in hotels um, it's not as bad in multi because you have Freddie and Fannie, which the hotel industry doesn't have. Um, but it's still um, going to be a, a serious dislocation of capital. And, um, and how that plays out is going to be fascinating. Uh, and I'm anxious to see how it plays out. And I'd like to be part of the solution uh, when that time comes. Yeah. Amen. We, we agree. We're fascinated to see what happens. I mean, I think transactions have to be less next year. They just are. But um, I agree with you. I think I think uh, top line revenue is going to be up next year, just for what it's worth. Today, our buyers have been it's upside down. The big boys are not buying in their world, right? All the Wall Street stuff. It's just a, especially in the mid market. It's just a leverage play, right? How much can we? How much volume can we buy? How much can we lever it up? How cheap is our debt? We'll make this spread and we'll move on. In the traditional hotel, which is who's winning today, it's the local guy, the owner operator, the next door neighbor, uh, a lot of 1031 exchange buyers who sold some assets, very good numbers, and are trying to roll that money in. Uh, that seems- But, but to be that's going to go away, right? That they sold this year. Yes, that right? goes, we agree with that. That goes away in six months-ish. Mm -hmm. That goes away. But the next door neighbor that just wants to have it, or the you guys and the other discretionary funds uh, that have capital, the REITs still have tons of cash. I don't know that they're going to actually deploy any of it to your point, the box that they may keep moving, uh, but they have tons of cash. And I think they're all sitting back waiting. It depends who you go to. So if you right. go to, um, um, you know, we, you know, we've gone to a couple of debt funds. Um, we were lucky. We did a deal at uh, like 450 over in March, which was a deal we locked in like February. Um, we went back to them two weeks later on another deal and they said it's 550 over. Today it'll probably be six fifty over. Right. Well, that is that's ten percent. It's nine and yes. three quarter percent. So I don't, you know, that that's the, that you know, that's the the the, uh, the bridge lender, the debt fund. Um, you know, that's that that's what they charge. I, I don't know anyone charging cheaper. It's because of our banking relationships and our balance sheet that we're, you know, I I didn't mention this, but you know, I I sold almost everything I owned last year. So I I sold three point. $2 billion with multifamily. Oh, wow. Good so, for you. Uh, yeah. So, so you. 
we have a clean, fresh balance sheet. It's liquid. Um, uh, we have that track record of doing cycle after cycle after cycle. Always, maybe we don't buy at the very low, and maybe we don't sell at the very high, but we sort of get there at the second lowest and sell at the second highest. I mean, that's a, you know, you can't time markets to the second, but we've done this consistently for 28 years. And so, um, um, you know, I think more lenders are, and I have enough gray hair, even more than you, to, uh, a lot more than you, uh, to, um, you know, uh, to have the relationships um, um, to get those good terms. So, so uh, not that no one's going to part the seas and say, oh, Norm, please let me charge you 300 basis points lower than market, but we'll get that, you know, of the extra 25 or 50 bips, we'll get that extra two or 3% of proceeds, um, or we'll just get the benefit of the doubt to do the deal um, that a lot of other buyers can't do. So you're bullish. You're you're a buyer. You're a net buyer. You were a net seller last year. You'll be a net buyer this year. Correct? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. We'll, this year, we'll have bought uh, about six hundred and fifty million dollars of uh, real estate. Yep. And, and you know, for a boutique company not supported by any uh, institutional funding whatsoever, that's a huge amount of deals. Yeah, that's huge. And uh, we'll have raised about two hundred and fifty million in capital for them, and then uh, we'll have sold about three hundred million in real estate. So, so it's about a billion dollars in transactions. Um, um, you know, this year. Uh, I, I would think that we'll be able to do uh, as much next year. Um, I do think part of your question they didn't answer before that we're going to strain our um, our uh, investor pool um, uh, because of the large amounts of capital we've uh, asked for this year. And it'll be interesting to see if I'll be limited by that next year. Um, and you know, we'll have to see. Um, Norm, this is great. Uh, you and I, we could go on for forever, uh, but this is fantastic. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. I agree with a lot of what you said. There's a lot of great stuff in there. What didn't you agree with that? Uh, just kidding. I, uh, the interesting part, anecdotally, my head went to sort of the next generation. And honestly, part of that is your daughter, uh, Lisa, is doing a great job CIO. And I'm assuming she's taken over. I'm family business. So with the fundamentals yeah. of family business, um, I'm thinking of her and, and her generation on the housing market. Uh, maybe they're in a, a condo, maybe they're in an apartment. Uh, are they going to be able to buy their starter home? Are they going to be able to buy the next home? Uh, you and I can afford to sit for a while. Uh, I don't know what that generation, how long they can afford to, to sit. And so what, what's their move up going to look like? Well, there's a prejudice in what you, a bias in your question. And your bias is that, um, you have to own a home. That Correct. that's the natural transition to where you have to go. Correct. And, Maybe, maybe we made a mistake in this country back in 2002 when George Bush pushed, you know, for the no doc loans and, uh, you know, uh, lifted a lot of the underwriting requirements for mortgages that maybe um, everyone shouldn't own a home. You know, maybe, you know, when I was a, a kid, um, you know, uh, I bought my house when I had uh, one son. He was uh, how old? He was two, and my daughter was on on her way. And I bought a home for one hundred and fifty eight thousand dollars. Interest rate was eleven percent, though, eleven percent. Um, and um, and to push kids like we did in two thousand two, three, four, five, to start come out of college, first job, and get a hundred percent mortgage to buy a condo or buy a home, um, maybe wasn't the smartest thing in the world. And so 
um, maybe there'll be some a return to normalcy and we don't have the this bias that you have to buy a home. Uh, and a lot of kids today want the upward the ability, you know, you talk about upward mobility. Well, mobility is now more of the word than upper. So their kids yeah. want to be, you know, mobile. They want to, oh. hey, I want to move to Denver. And then people in Denver want to move to Atlanta and Miami and, and whatever. And so you know, maybe the answer is that the mindset's got is changing with young people, and a house isn't the end result of that mindset. But it is for us because we grew up that way. You know, American dream: buy a home, pick a fence, whatever. But I don't know. I, I think that's changing a bit. Yeah, but if you can pack your life in a box and move at a moment's notice, yeah, that's become more and more. I wonder when you get a family and kids is a change at that point uh norm you're you're the best thank you this is this is awesome uh, uh i'm marking you down as uh, my buyer uh for the foreseeable future so what do you got what do we uh what we do won't we send anything to anybody else just you uh, well then at least you know you'll have a transaction <laughs> look forward to doing our next deal with you i do too i love it and i'll put you All on right. the calendar for three weeks out for the you hawks got it i look forward right. to it Norm, big thing. Bye.